It is conference championship game week of the 2021 college football season, and this is the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week? As always, Kelly, I'm doing great. I am gassed up once again. Conference championship week. We have a great slate of games. Last time we get to do the full slate together uh, this year. Uh, we've had a great first season of the We Hit Your Team podcast. Wind it down. And I know it's a sad time for all of us. College football is nearing the end, although we still have a, a this weekend and a huge number of bowl games ahead. So uh, still a lot of good football still to come, but we're winding down uh, and look forward to picking these conference championship game with you and uh, you guys this week. Yeah, man, it's hard to believe that we're already into conference championship game week. And with that, just a quick programming note, um, with the final college football playoff selection committee rankings being released this upcoming Sunday at noon Eastern, we will be doing our live show weekly recap of conference championship games on Twitter on Sunday morning this week. So exact time still TBD, but make sure you're following us at we hate your team underscore on Twitter to keep up to date with all of our content. But first things first, we have conference championship games to analyze. And to help us do that, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest this week, college football analyst and NFL Draft Senior Director for Pro Football Network, Cam Meller. Cam, welcome to the show. Kelly, Zach, thanks for having me. As always, um, I've admired your work for a long, long time. Um, I, like we just talked about actually off air for what now, two years over to just at two years, maybe I think since Twitter, the Twitter profile was incepted. So uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be on anything that discusses college football, but also hating teams because clearly that's what happens when you pick, <laughs> when you're an analyst and you get to dissect all 130, you're going to have 130 teams after you. So they can't all win them all. And so it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I appreciate you having me here. Absolutely, Cam. Yes. And it's been a pleasure following you for, as we talked about nearly two years now and uh, really enjoy following your work as well. And speaking of that, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we'd really appreciate if you took just a few minutes to share a little bit about your work in the college football space, the NFL space, and just really your background here um, that led you to where you are. Yeah, it, um, it's been a long, I'd say arduous, but it's been fun every step of the way. It's been a long journey from uh, for Seinfeld fans from Milan to Minsk. No, um, from literally from playing Pop Warner from the day I turned like five years old. So I've been, I played for 12 years. I had a couple scholarship offers to play football. Didn't take that route because they were division three schools. I was like, you know what? My brother goes to Florida state. So I followed him to Florida state. I immediately got a job working for the school paper. And for back then it was not, it wasn't even really, it was still scout.com, but it was Noel digest. Uh, and so I was taking pictures of Noel Digest. I was out there at practice with Lawrence Timmons, Christian Ponder, Drew Weatherford, Xavier Lee. Those days back in the day, we had just left Dirty Sims. Broderick Bunkley was there. Like it was the heyday of FSU before the Jameis Winston National Championship year. So did that for five years all throughout college. And then I actually got a job after college working in high school sports. And that's where the love for the off-field data collection process started. I worked for a little small company called digital scout They're they're still in existence they do high school sports stat tracking uh and so we had we we tracked football stats for high school sports for football basketball and volleyball and so you know you're waiting through the volleyball and basketball just to talk high school football and so did that for a few years then they uh we you know yes everything as careers go you have to sort of move on so then i joined pff though when i realized it was PFF data collection right in their really early phases, right after Collinsworth had bought into PFF. So it was one of the first sort of full-time hires that wasn't, you know, 
from the UK, basically. So it felt pretty cool. Did was with PFF for five and a half, six years almost, and helped build them to what they had become before I left. Uh, we don't need to discuss too much more about that, where they've gone since me, uh, as I tap my hands over here. Um, uh, yeah, then joined, sort of took a took a shot in the dark, joining the guys at Pro Football Network. Still a startup, still very small. It's a couple of Dolphins fans who were very dejected after a loss in Cincinnati. They got a little drunk, walked across the bridge to Kentucky, uh, and were like, you know, coverage has to be better on all 32 teams because being a Dolphins fan sucked. And so they created Pro Football Network. Two and a half years later, we've been credentialed to every Super Bowl since the draft, the combine, you name it. We're everywhere. We're infiltrating everything, skyrocketing up our mock draft simulator. Uh, is the most viewed and utilized mock draft simulator on the market. So that's where, you know, I went in there and I saw an opening. I saw some growth that we could have. And we're really starting to realize that now with, um, you know, putting effort into college football because you have to study and know college football if you want to know the NFL draft. And then if you want to know pro football, you have to know the NFL draft. And so it starts at the ground level. And that's where my role has become at Pro Football Network, PFN. Uh, and yeah, we're going to take the PFN college area and NFL draft area to to the moon, to the next stratosphere with a bunch of stuff. So mock draft simulators, draft guides, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up uh, that I'm very excited to be part of. And that's where sort of the role as senior director of the NFL draft at Pro Football Network is now and where we're going. So That is really exciting, Cam. Appreciate you sharing that background. I have so much admiration for folks out there who chase their dream uh, and, and the job, the industry that they want to work in and, and, and fight for, for what they want to do. So really cool to hear your background um, from Florida State all the way through. That's that's awesome. Working in sports full time. Uh, can't beat that, Kinger. I know we're both jealous about that one. Absolutely. And to be a part of something kind of building it from the ground up and really see it flourish. Uh, that's something you can you guys absolutely should be really proud of. And, uh, you know, it's it's got to be an amazing experience to be a part of. Yeah, it's been cool. PFF starting that, helping start that up. And then now PFN, it's sort of very similar. I just happen to love PF, three, three letter <laughs> acronyms. But um, I'll give one shout out to my wife who stuck with me through thick and thin and through making $15 a game while I was statting games to, to really get by. So you got to have somebody in your corner, wife, husband, significant other, partner, whatever it is this time and in, uh, in this year of 2021, whatever you got, if, if you need some help, you know, I, I highly recommend somebody who's in your corner and you can bat ideas around with. So that's that's who I had. She was, uh, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for her. Isn't that the truth? I have a wife as well. Uh, MVP of my life. Kinger, I know, has got himself a serious girlfriend. So uh, we're nothing without the ladies in our lives, that's for sure. Um, but Cam, it's no it's no uh, accident that we asked you on here near the end of this season. We're as close as we can be to the NFL draft while still having a full slate of, of games to pick. So we're excited to put your, um, your knowledge of the college football players and how you evaluate them in the draft up against ours as we try to pick these games here, Cam. So you guys ready to to get into this let's do it all right let's go as a reminder make sure you're following us on twitter at we hate your team underscore and join the we hate your team podcast pick'em group on espn because the weekly winner will get a shout out here on the show last week at Braden insane picked up his second weekly win of the season with a strong 47 point showing so congrats to Braden, and let's see if we can top that number here this week in the season long competition Kinger, I'm currently leading you 287 to 265. This is the final week, King, so it's now or never. Are you ready to make a move? I got to. It's, it's, it's now or never, like you said. 
That's right. We're going to get into it. Um, let's dive in. Our first game is Western Kentucky at UTSA for the Conference USA crowd on Friday night. This is a Friday night game. These two teams met in October with the Roadrunners getting the win 52-46 to on the road. Kinger, you want to lead us off? Yeah, we got two teams coming in here really having opposite performances last week. Uh, UTSA lost their perfect season really struggled and had a uh, real tough time last week against North Texas while Western Kentucky uh, came back uh, after being down 14-6 at half to Marshall, uh, came back and really had overcame some adversity, scored 36 unanswered, and beat that Marshall team in which we all picked last week. Kelly, you mentioned it. This was a high-scoring affair back in week five. UTSA edged them out 52-46. Uh, both these teams, or uh, I'm sorry, UTSA allowed Bailey Zappi and this Western Kentucky offense to have almost 700 total yards. I mean, the good news in that case was UTSA did have some success. They were able to exploit that Western Kentucky defense that has really been shaky this year, and they were able to pull out a de- uh, pull out a victory. UTSA uh, defense has been very good by Conference USA standards. They did lay that egg last week against Northern Texas. Um, I'm a little bit worried about UTSA's motivation here. I mean, yes, they do still have the opportunity to win the Conference USA Championship, but I know they wanted uh, that undefeated season. Motivation might not be the correct word to use here, but I'm sure there's still some backlash. I'm sure there's still some disappointment after losing a game that they probably really shouldn't have lost last week. Uh, Zappi, you know, I'm a little surprised. I know it's Western Kentucky. I'm a little bit surprised he's not more in this Heisman conversation it, because of the fact and his numbers that he's put up this year. That offense has been absolutely incredible. They were able to exploit UTSA early in the season, and I like them to win again this week. Uh, you know, they had a tough non-comp this year. They lost to Army, Indiana, and Michigan State. That Indiana loss doesn't look too good. Um, but they were, they've were they had a, a very good season, and they don't really have any bad losses out there. Um, you know, I think UTSA is a good football team. I don't want to doubt what they've done this year. They benched Frank Harris in the second half last week or, or sat Frank Harris in the second half last week because they were down by so much. Um, and I think they deserve a lot of recognition and credit this year. But uh, I'm going to go with the hot team. I'm going to go with that offense that's had a lot of success. They were in it the first, first game. I like them with the bounce back here. So I'm taking Western Kentucky, but I'm taking them with one confidence point. All right, you got it, Western Kentucky for one. I'll take it next here. I've got this as the best Western Kentucky team since the Hilltoppers finished number 28 back in 2016. So a really good Western Kentucky team by their standards. And then on the flip side, I'd actually have UTSA still ranked this week. I know they fell out of the committee's rankings. I'd have them number 25 in my most deserving numbers. This is the best UTSA team since the Roadrunners joined FBS back in 2012. So the best team they've had since joining the top level of college football almost a decade ago. Um, This game to me, King, kind of like you said, it's about these offenses. Uh, This Western Kentucky offense, number 10 offense in the country, according to my numbers. I expect them to have a lot of success against this uh, UTSA defense that I have ranked number 60 in the country, whether it's passing or rushing. um, I do expect more damage to be done through the passing game. You mentioned it, King, the quarterback, Zappy there from Western Kentucky. This is the number three passing offense in the country by success rate. They're not very explosive. They're not going to go out and get a whole lot of big plays, but they're going to stay on schedule when they're throwing the ball. So I expect Western Kentucky 
Kentucky to put up some points and do the majority of their damage through the passing game. Flip it over to the other side. I mentioned I do like the UTSA offense as well. Again, rushing, passing, probably more likely to be doing damage through the air as well as their success rate passing the ball is in the top 25, whereas their rushing success rate is down in the 70s. But the Western Kentucky defense success rate against the rush is number 103 in the country. So that's the worst unit out of the four here, that Western Kentucky defense. But the best unit is the Western Kentucky offense. I do have Western Kentucky as the better team in this game. They're number 45 in my power ratings. Uh, I've got UTSA number 56. But because of the way that Conference USA sets up their championship game at the home field of the team with the better conference record, that is UTSA. So they're getting that home field advantage bump. King, I hear you about the motivation and the concerns you might have there. I actually think um, while they're going to be disappointed, they're still playing for something that they've never had before. And I think uh, I'm not worried about the motivation. I think the fans are going to be there. They're going to be excited. I thought this is a straight up pick 'em. 50% win probability for UTSA and Western Kentucky. The numbers lean ever so slightly to UTSA with that home field advantage. So I'm going to take the Roadrunners and I'm going to take them for one confidence point. So Cam, we, Cam, we already have a disagreement one game in. That's more than we had all of last week. So we're in for an exciting show, I know. Cam, we'll kick it to you. What do you make of this, West, this uh, Western Kentucky UTSA Conference USA Championship matchup? I, I So I'll, I'll, I guess I'm the tiebreaker here, which is kind of fun. I'm also a little bit more confident in where I'm going, and it's for a few reasons. I don't want to discredit this Western Kentucky defense. I know, okay, they haven't been great and however you want to look at it, but if you look at how North Texas beat up on UTSA last week, they just, I mean, it was a great pass rush. Their offensive line, UTSA's offensive line was dominated. North Texas doesn't have nearly the players that WKU Western does. If you're, uh, you know, if you live in Kentucky, you call them Western. I, I learned that the hard way. I called them Western Kentucky. And I was I was told after I, when I lived in Kentucky for nine months that it, you just call them Western. So uh, Western Kentucky, D'Angelo Malone and Juwan Jones off the edge. Two dudes at D'Angelo Malone getting invited to all the, the postseason all-star games. The dude you're going to hear probably day two. Likely, you know, fringe day two, last part of round three as an NFL draft pick. A uh, handful of sacks, a handful of other pressures. I think nobody on the UTSA line should be able to handle him this game. He's really sort of getting it going as the season wears on. It was like he's got something to play for individually, and it's getting to the Senior Bowl. It's getting Shrine Bowl invites. It's getting all these invites. And so, to me, looking at North Texas, who vastly underperformed their what has to be their recommendations or, or their pro prognosis for the season this year, finally realized how good of a team they were. Uh, everybody's back. We're starting to get healthy, and that was the team that, looked really good on paper. UTSA was healthy and fine, and they sort of got smacked in the mouth. So to me, I'm not confident in this UTSA team just basically on offense to be able to move the ball because we have the track record of how to beat them. Also, they're a play or two away from losing to Western Kentucky earlier this year too. So I actually have the Hilltoppers, Zappy lighting up the scoreboard, looking away from Tariq Woolen, who is terrific, cornerback at UTSA, six foot five. He'll tell you he's six four. I uh, can't wait to see him measure at Mobile in the Senior Bowl as well. But I, I'm going to go three, three confidence points for Western to pull off what was the upset at the opening lines. But it looks like the Vegas better betters have decided to uh, to change that line a little bit. So Western, I think, getting the favorite now. Uh, last time I looked at the, at the books, so to me, Western is the better team overall just because of how good their offense is. The both both sides on defense, you know, you can cherry pick here and there, but the 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 strength of this game is that offense. In Western, even though I just talked about their defense. So to me, Zappy says, hey, I should have been invited to New York, throws for like six touchdowns, uh, and Western wins by a few. Love it. All right. So much knowledge just dropped right there by Cam. I think my favorite piece of the whole thing, though, was you call him Western. 
Western Kentucky. You just call them Western. Got it. I'm gonna have yep. to carry. I'm gonna carry yep. that one forward. Same thing with Eastern, but I, we're not. We're clearly not here talking about Eastern Kentucky yet. So. Not not yet. Maybe in the future. Not maybe yet. in the future, the We Hate Your Team podcast will expand to FCS as well. The but FCS version. To, to, to recap this first game in the Conference USA Championship, Cam is on Western for three, Kinger on Western for one, and I am on UTSA for one. Again, my numbers have it as a fifty less than a fifty point one. It's between fifty and fifty point one percent win probability, but I'm rolling with the numbers. So K Ford on UTSA for one, Cam. We went last with you on the last game. Let's start with you on this one. Also on Friday night, we have number 10, Oregon, versus number 17, Utah, in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship. These two teams played in Salt Lake City less than two weeks ago, and the Utes won 38-7. What do you make of this rematch, Cam? Give me Utah for six confidence points, and it's for one very specific reason. Well, two. Anthony Brown is only going to carry the Ducks as far as he can carry them, and it's not very far. I, I fully suspect him to make some errant decisions, and it, the Ducks' offense won't be that good. But to me, over the past six weeks, the Utah offensive line is the best offensive line in football. So that mitigates the front seven from this Oregon defense, which is the, one of the better front sevens in all of the Pac-12. So from from left to right nick ford finally playing back at center injuries are now gone they're healthy so ford back at, at center for them this is a team i mean if you if you've missed them play offensive football tavion thomas is healthy to the running back he's special they're a special unit there's not a lot of wow factors on their their skill players except for thomas cam rising is playing plus football which is all he needs to do to win games at quarterback but i mean if you look at from left tackle from bam at the left tackle spot six seven six eight three three thirty whatever he is you can't miss him uh, the way that they get their offensive linemen to move from first to second level as well as getting their tight ends their big huge tight ends in the blocking game this i mean they completely dominated and punched oregon in the mouth you you mitigate Kayvon thibodeau's impact in the game by rushing right down his throat and so when you're taking away the best player in college football with your offensive line, which is the best in the Pac-12 and probably top three in the country this year, it just shapes up for another one of these games where Utah runs away with it. I think Oregon keeps it closer than the last meeting two weeks ago, but I still think Utah is, I mean, they're a better team overall at this point, and they can play four quarters of football. Love it. Yeah, for me, this is a really exciting game. It's got a combined average K4 team rating of 84. So really high quality game here. Um, Oregon's a team that has the best win in college football this 2021 season at Ohio State. Only a 19% chance the average top 25 team wins that game. Oregon did. Um, the committee's giving them a lot of respect for that, up to number 10. Like I said, I'd have them number 13 and my most deserving. While Utah, Utah is a, a, a case study for predictive versus resume-based metrics. This is a team that I have, predictively speaking, much better um, than where I have them in the resume numbers. I wouldn't have them ranked in the top 25 of resume numbers. The committee has them 17. I'd have them 27. But in terms of looking forward, I like Utah in this game, and I like them on both sides of the ball. I'll start with the uh, higher quality matchup. And for me, that's the Oregon offense versus the Utah defense. I've got that Utah defense. Like I said, I, I'd favor them. Number 15 defense in the country. Oregon's offense number 19. So again, very close. I do expect Oregon to have some success rushing the football. They're a very successful ground attack. Um, again, not not super explosive, um, but they're, they're going to keep 
keep, get the yards they need to stay on schedule uh, when they run the ball. So a lot of that comes from Brown at the quarterback position, but also the running backs that they have there as well. So I do think that Oregon's going to be running the football. But on the other side, I think that's the difference in this game. And it's the Utah offense, number 17 in the country, going up in or- against an Oregon defense that's number 38 defense in the country. So whether it's rushing, passing, I get my numbers give the edge to Utah. I think they'll probably lean more towards um, rushing the football. Just They're a little bit better at that. And Oregon's about the same uh, against the rush and against the pass. So I think running the football is going to be their better bet. I've got Utah as the number 16 team in the country in my predicted numbers. Oregon, number 23. That's a 59% win probability on a neutral site for Utah. So I'm taking the Utes, and I'm taking them for five confidence points. Kinger, what about you? All right, let's let's keep the changes going. So I'm actually going to take Oregon here, and I'm going to take them with two confidence points. And I, this was a game that I struggled back and forth with. And this is both teams have a lot on the line here. Obviously, the Rose Bowl is what is we're looking for. Utah is looking to go to the Rose Bowl for the first time ever. Uh, Oregon still, you know, although they're not going to make the college football playoff this year, there's still a lot to play for. They're probably a year away. They should right be in that conversation again next year. But I know Chris Ball wants to win this game. They got their butts kicked a few weeks ago, and I know they want to have a bounce back. And the reason that I think that Oregon has a much better matchup this time around is Oregon just straight up, they, I mean, they were dominated, but they also made a ton of mistakes in this first game, right? You start at special teams. They missed a field goal. They let up a couple big kick returns. They allowed a 78-yard punt return. They were down 28 nothing. On the defense, you know, Cam talked about how good this Utah offensive line it was, and they just straight dominated that Oregon front the first time, right? The team only had one sack, one tackle for loss. Kayvon Thibodeau was basically nowhere to be found. He's arguably going to be the first player picked in the draft next year, as we know. Um, Oregon was also really not able to run the ball on offense. They only had 63 yards on the ground, team that almost averaged 215 yards per game on the regular season. They were down early, and they had Anthony Brown throwing 35 times. That's not a success, and that's not a formula which Oregon is going to win a lot of football games. So I think they need to clean up those special teams. I still think that Oregon front seven on the defensive side is going to be able to make some impact against Utah's offense. Cam Rising, like he said, he's playing plus football. He's just an efficient guy who needs to take care of the footballs, make the clean throws in the pocket when they're there. Um, And I think Utah has the ability to, again, potentially win this game by 7 to 10 points. But I like Cristobal. I like his coaching staff. I like them to bounce back. I think they are going to have more success. I think that offensive line is going to do a better job against Mika Tafusi, Devin Lloyd, who's one of the best linebackers that I think a lot of people don't know about in the country. Um, and I'm a big believer that Oregon can clean up their mistakes. I think that Salt Lake City environment definitely didn't help. That's a high-stakes environment. As I talked about, all those games are close. So I'm going to take Oregon on the bounce back. I got them going to the Rose Bowl this year. And I'm going to, and I said Oregon with two confidence points you're doing your darndest to catch me in this this competition here king aren't you yeah i am but hey i like i said i I, i'm feeling confident in these first two picks i like i like them this week no i i love it i love it it's great um it's good to have some disagreement again last week we agreed on all 10 so this is this is good and exciting to recap this game cam is on utah for six i am on utah for five and kinger is on oregon for two i particularly love the the devin lloyd shout out I mean, this is a guy who should have won the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. But Evan Weaver and his 12 billion tackles that were nine yards past the line of scrimmage got it. So to me, Devin Lloyd is the most complete linebacker and has been for the past three years. So I love the shout out. Where do you think he ends up getting drafted? Uh, it, it's at this point, it's between him and Nicobe Dean for number first linebacker drafted. But honestly, really, oh wow, not yeah. put it past Lloyd making a team fall in love with him when he meets him because he's just an incredibly down to earth, awesome dude who knows the game inside and out. So honestly, 
I would say like I don't like the terms proverbial floor and ceiling, mm-hmm. but I would put his floor like right around twenty five and it's ceiling upwards in like the like thirteen, twelve, thirteen, honestly. Wow, good to know. That's awesome. Solid first round yeah. pick right there. Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. All right. Well, those are our two Friday games this week, guys. So moving on to Saturday, in the early window, we have number nine, Baylor, versus number five, Oklahoma State, in Arlington for the Big 12 title. The Cowboys beat the Bears 24-14 in Stillwater back in early October. I'll take this game first. Um, A Big 12 championship without Oklahoma. I mean, that's that right there is a storyline in itself, uh, let alone Lincoln Riley leaving and all of that. We talk more about that on our live show, so go check that out um, if you're interested in our thoughts on that one. But for this game, I'm really excited. It's got a game score of 87. These are two really, really good football teams. I'm actually of the opinion that Oklahoma State, sitting at number five, controls their own destiny into the college football playoff. Again, go check out our live show for more thoughts on that. Um, but going up against the Baylor team, the committee has also in the top 10 at number nine. So we also talked Kinger on our live show tonight or on Tuesday night about how Baylor might have a path if enough things break right. So again, check out the live show in case you in case you couldn't tell. We talk about a lot on the live show. So check that out. Um, to me, this game's all about defense, particularly the Oklahoma State defense. This is the number three defense in the country by my numbers. They're number five in success rate against the rush, number 11 in success rate against the pass. I mean, they give up very, very little. That game against Oklahoma in the second half, they gave up nothing to the Oklahoma offense. I mean, that was all special teams and Oklahoma defense making plays. Um, this, this Oklahoma State defense is fierce. I mean, they are really, really good. I think if, Oklahoma, or if Baylor's offense is going to have a chance to, to make some moves, it might be in the passing game. Again, just because I think Oklahoma State rush defense is so good um, and, and Baylor's slightly better passing the football. So I think they'll be looking to pass the ball. And then on the other side, again, I like Baylor's defense here too. They're a top 20 unit by my numbers while Oklahoma State's offense sitting in the mid 50s. Um, I do think that the Oklahoma State offense is going to have more success passing the football. Their success rate passing versus Baylor success rate rushing almost dead even, whereas Baylor success rate against the rush is up in the top 15. Um, also, also, the Baylor defense uh, gives up some explosive plays, whether that's rushing or passing. Now, Oklahoma State's offense not very explosive on the ground, but they can pop off some explosive passing plays. So I think both offenses are going to be looking to pass the ball here. I think the def- or the difference is the Oklahoma State defense just a little bit better than that Baylor defense. Um, so I'm going to take Oklahoma State here. I, it's a neutral site game, so there's no home field advantage bake in. I've got Oklahoma State as number 17 in the country in my predictive numbers, Baylor number 20. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State. They've got a 63% win probability, so I'm taking the Cowboys and I'm taking them for six confidence points. Kinger, what do you think about this? Yeah, you highlighted no Oklahoma. Uh, I think that was a shock to a lot of people here. And you got two teams that really deserve a lot of credit from where they're at here. Baylor coming off the two and seven year last year. We talked about it on our uh reaction show on Sunday night, you know, Dave Aranda is a name that's popping up on all these major jobs. You can't give him enough credit for what he's done down in Waco in this resurgence of this Baylor team. And then Oklahoma State, you know, beating their rival for the first time in seven years, Mike Gundy, Jim Knowles, that defense. I mean, all these guys, this is a lot of fun. And I'm excited to watch these two teams get some parity in the Big 12 Conference. You talked about that matchup earlier in the season. And the, and the big thing was, is as it is every week, that Oklahoma State defense, right? Baylor had 10 of their first 13 drives in that game, had five plays or less. The only reason why they were able to keep themselves in that game is, is A, Spencer Sanders had three turnovers, which if Baylor can come out and create a couple turnovers, again, for from Oklahoma State, hopefully Spencer Sanders will uh, protect the ball. You know, it, 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 we'll see if they're able to 
win the turnover battle because I think that's going to be critical in this game. But additionally, they had a couple big Baylor had a couple big plays the first time. You know, they had a 55-yard touchdown run from Abram Smith, who is one of the best backs in the country, over 1,300 yards this year, 6.4 yards per carry. That Baylor offensive line is very good, and they deserve a lot of credit as well for the success that they've had this year. Um, Tyquan Thornton also had a couple deep balls that were able to keep Baylor moving down the field. Um, but for the most part, Oklahoma State controlled that game. Um, I see a lot of similarities transitioning here to this game. The difference is, is you know, Jerry Bohannon left the Kansas State game a couple weeks ago with a hamstring injury. He did not play last week versus Texas Tech. Blake Schappen, their backup, took over. He was efficient, and there's no doubt that I think he has the ability to keep the game close um, if, uh, if he does end up playing. But I think it's trending that Bohannon is going to play. But still, this Oklahoma State defense is just too good. They're the third-ranked total defense in the country. They've got a lot of momentum. They know they need to win this game to get in the college football playoffs so i think oklahoma state's too much this week i have them with six confidence points cam what do you think won't be much disagreements here maybe just where we rank them because it's that that's where i'm leaning but i'm gonna i'll speak about my friends at baylor here first because uh close friend with eric mateo offensive line coach i you know you both have said things with uh, about that i kind of want to touch on here as well abram smith 97 yards in that first meeting 55 of them were one carry. So if you look at it, he averaged just barely four yards a carry after that. Since Bohannon's left the lineup too, he's averaged less than four yards a carry. So as they really sort of rely on him, they're just sort of grinding him out. Lest we forget, he was a linebacker last season. So Abram Smith, you know, he recruited as a running back, two years running back, didn't really stick, get the, onto the field. Linebacker last year, running back this year, he's going to the senior bowl. We'll see what he actually looks like against other players, other running backs that have been doing this their entire lives. Um, I, it's a credit and a testament to that offensive line who through the first probably nine, 10 weeks of, of college football, I'd still probably give them the edge. They're the best offensive line in football. And that's not just because I know the offensive line coach. It's because if you look at the resurgence of where they were last year, they were, I did a podcast with the guys at 10, 12 network over there and, or 10, I don't even know how they pronounce their podcast. So now I feel really bad. Philip gave me a shout out earlier uh, today, yesterday. And so nevertheless, I, you to, know, to be clear, to be it, clear, it is the ten twelve network podcast. Philip Philip is amazing. Podcast, right? He's someone that we're definitely going to have on the show uh, in twenty twenty two as our guest. So yes, the ten twelve network, um, an amazing podcast. If you like the big t- yeah. the big tw- uh, twelve, you are going to love the ten twelve network and all of the podcasts that they have. So yes, Cam, absolutely. Philip is our guy. Not just not just the hat rack here. Sometimes maybe I look like it, but. Um, <laughs> that's you know they were the of the consensus at Baylor hey this is the worst offensive line in football but I took I did a little bit of research talked to everybody there that I could and realized like this is actually a team that they got Jacob Gall the transfer from Buffalo it's a great unit overall Bohannon gave them that added depth of sort of the pocket maneuverability um, the dual threat um, shout out to Drew Estrada the Dartmouth transfer I'm wearing a Dartmouth polo Dartmouth, Dartmouth pullover right now my little brother's best friend is Drew Estrada so again I said I got my friends there at Baylor, they will not match up against this Oklahoma State defense, who if you talk to anybody in Stillwater, that's all they talk about. There's Malcolm Rodriguez, Harvell Peel, there's Devin Harper. Probably the best player that nobody really talks about is Brock Martin, a high school All-American wrestler who, if you watch him play on the defensive end, he will literally do a hip toss to offensive tackles like they're nothing. So watching Brock Martin play football is one of my great joys. Oklahoma State wins this game easily, even if Bohannon does play. Uh, nine confidence points for the Cowboys for me. 
All right, so to recap, we finally have agreement, all three of us on the winner here. Cam is on Oklahoma State for nine, Kinger and Kay Ford on the Cowboys for six. So, Kinger, let's come to you here first for this next one. In the MAC, we have Kent State at Northern Illinois squaring off in Detroit for a championship. The Golden Flashes down the Huskies 52 to 47 at home in one of the first Maction games of the year. What do you make of this rematch, Kinger? Well, Kelly, let's take a trip down memory lane. The last time Kent State was in the MAC championship game was in 2012. Guess who they played that year as well? NIU. NIU prevailed. Went on to the Orange Bowl, and guess what happened to the Kent State program? Their head coach left for our Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue hired Daryl Hazel and proceeded to follow up a run of 9-33 over the next four years. That was the last time that Kent State was in the MAC championship game, also playing NIU. So great memories there. But no, this is Kent State earned a spot in the MAC championship by beat Miami. Literally on came down to the last play in overtime last week, 48-47. Um, this is a team that is extremely explosive on the offensive side of the ball. First time that these teams played was back in early November. Kent State was able to edge out NIU 52-47. Both teams in this game put up almost 700 yards of total offense, and I expect a lot of the same in the rematch here. Uh, I know Kent State's defense is, is pretty bad in a lot of standards. We highlighted some of their faults last week. Uh, they do allow a lot of explosive plays in the passing game. They're dead last in total defense in the MAC, but they are respectable against the run, and that's what NIU relies heavily on. Um, they only allowed NIU to go for 130 in the first matchup. In the last three weeks, they've only allowed over 145 yards once, and that was when they took a pretty bad beating to Western Michigan. NIU quarterback Rocky Lombardi had far and away his best game of the season last time they played Kent State. He had over 500 yards and three touchdowns. But otherwise, this is a guy that has been very inconsistent this year. Only 58% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I think this is going to be another high-scoring game, but I don't have a lot of faith that Lombardi will repeat that performance. He just hasn't shown the consistency for me this year in which, although Kent State's defense, again, is not that good, I don't trust him necessarily, right? And I, on the other side, you know, I talk about how good Kent State's off, uh, offense is. The rushing tack is elite. Uh, they just put up over 300 on a rush defense last week, that's much better or statistically better than NIU's. They lead the FBS in scoring with over 50 points per game, top 10 rushing and passing offense. I just like Dustin Crum and, the, and those running backs' ability to get it done this week. I don't have a lot of faith in NIU just with the offensive consistency. So I am picking Kent State for five confidence points. You got it. And Cam, I'm going to pass it to you to go next. But right before I do, Kinger, you mentioned the Daryl Hazel years at Purdue. Uh, two of those years overlapped with our time there in undergrad. And Purdue's been playing football since the late 1800s, guys. And according to my historical power rating, team power rating set, uh, which I've compiled this past offseason and gone all the way back with estimate ratings to the beginning of college football, Guess the four worst uh, or the worst four year period in the history of Purdue football by average team rating over a four year period. I'll give you one guess. It was the four years Daryl Hazel was there. So the absolute worst four-year stretch in the history of Purdue football by my numbers was uh, was Daryl Hazel. So all the best to Coach Hazel. Not sure he's uh, in the coaching world anymore, but if he lands there, wish him nothing but the best. It just won't be at Purdue. So, Cam, on to you. I have other things to add. That same Northern Illinois team that went to the Orange Bowl got stomped by the Florida State Seminoles that year. My alma mater, uh, a who's who, Vrital who's who. Mark Stoops was, was the D.C. that year. Damian Craig uh, was the quarterback's coach. 
Uh, that was an EJ Manuel led FSU team with Dustin Hopkins, Devontae Freeman, Nigel Bradham. Like there was a hoop. That was just a who's who. That was uh, the year right before the national. I remember right thinking NIU had a chance that year, Cam. Boy, was I wrong. Jordan Lynch gave them a chance. Yeah, that's that true. Was, that's true. That was what it is. Yeah. So if you go to this year now, this this so there's revenge for many ways from earlier in the year, a decade ago when none of these players were even watching college football because they were, you know, eight. Uh, revenge for that, but also Sean Lewis, the head coach at Kent State, is likely to get a Power Five job. I don't know if he's in the works for it now or if he's. I, this is a guy who's been on the shortlist for Power Five head coaching jobs since yeah two three years ago. So. To me, it's Dustin Crum, 50 career passing touchdowns, 23 touchdowns on the ground, a true dual threat by the dual threat nature of a Matt quarterback, almost in the vein of a Jordan Lynch, where Dustin Crum, a couple more wins, a couple more high-profile performances where he was high-flying, he would have been the Jordan Lynch conversation piece, not quite there. I thought he had that after that 2019 season. I thought we were going to be talking about Dustin Crum in a much better light, uh, but here we are. In my opinion, it's Elvis Hines at cornerback. This is a guy who sticks his nose in run defense. He's been doing it for five years for the Golden Flashes. They're an incredibly well-coached team by Sean Lewis. I think Sean Lewis gets the tap for the power five. I think Kent State exacts revenge. Kent State wins handily in this one. My confidence points are at nine for the Golden Flashes. Okay, you got it. Um... Kim, I think I had you at nine Sorry, for seven. Oklahoma State. Seven. Seven. Okay, there seven. you go. Yep, I'm just going through. I do the spreadsheet, so it's easy for me to track. There we go. Okay. Nope, I appreciate you. It literally, I had my pen over mine. <laughs> I, I still, I'm still a hand, still a hand note guy. I, I might, might delve in spreadsheets and uh, statistics, but I, I'm still a hand note guy. So I love pen it. Pen was over. It said seven. You got it. No, you got it. You got Kent State for seven. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one, guys. Uh, to me, it's all about these these offenses, and I, actually, I'll say it bluntly. It's about these defenses, and they are really, really poor. I mean, both of them. I've got I've got the Kent State defense number 115 in the country. There's only 130 teams. I've got Northern Illinois defense number 118. I mean, these teams really struggle, guys, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So I expect both offenses to take advantage here. I think the better of the two offenses, you guys have touched on it, is that Kent State offense. I've got them very successful, both rushing and passing the ball. They're a top 40 offense overall. So um, it's neutral site up in Detroit. Give me Kent State. I've got Kent State as the number 96 team in the country. So again, this this is not a high quality football team, but Northern Illinois, number 98. So I expect this to be an even competitive matchup. Um I, I've got this as a straight-up pick em. It's a 51% win probability for Kent State. So I'm leaning the Golden Flashes, and I'm taking them for two confidence points. So to recap, we're all on Kent State. Cam's got the Golden Flashes for seven. Kinger on Kent State for five. And I am on Kent State for two. All right, moving on to the afternoon window, we have Utah State going on the road to play number 19, San Diego State, in the Mountain West Championship. Cam, you want to take this one first for us? I do. Uh, as much as I want to pick Blake Anderson and Logan Bonner to pull this one out and give San Diego State a run for their money, I'm not confident in it. I'm going to go San Diego State one but I'm going to give a, a reason for it. This this air raid principle offense that Anderson runs with Logan Bonner, if you didn't know or didn't watch, you're probably not listening if you didn't know that they came from Arkansas State together with Brandon Bowling, that trio to, to Logan, Utah. But to me, if there's one player in the Mountain West that can get off the ball quick enough to actually disrupt the quick air raid passing game, it's Cam Thomas on the edge. Not only does he have a great first name, Cameron, but he's also already accomplished the pass rush triple-double, which is double-digit hurries, hits, and sacks this year. This dude is 
by all means, maybe the best group of five pass rusher and a top five pass rusher in college football this year. So Cam Thomas has the chance to do that. He's going to command double teams. Jonah Tavai up the middle. This is a defensive line who's, I mean, it's up there with the best in the country, not just group of five, not just Mountain West. So to me, this defensive line gives them fits, forces some errant throws. There's some turnovers from Utah State. I think San Diego State wins this one based on just their pass rush. They don't have to do, move the ball in offense at all. They're going to cause some turnovers uh, and force Utah State into some pretty formidable down distances. You got it. Yeah, I'm going to be with you on this one, Cam. Uh, San Diego State, 11-1, and just a fantastic year. Their only loss uh, by 10 points at home to Fresno State. Um, committee's got a number 19. I'd have number 18, so right around the same ballpark. I think this is a really, really accomplished San Diego State team. Um, I actually like both their offense and their defense in these two matchups. Uh, I'll start with the one that's closer. It's not very high quality. San Diego State offense number 93 in the country on offense. Utah State defense number 98. So I do lean slightly to San Diego State. Um, I'll, I'll say that they're going to try to move the ball through the air. That has more to do with um, Utah State's defense being sub-100 in success rate against the pass than anything that San Diego State necessarily does. Um, they are fairly explosive rushing when they have success. They don't have a whole lot of success on the ground, but when they do, they can pop off some big plays. Utah State really gives up a lot of big explosive plays on the rush game on defense. So um, that's that side of the ball. But the difference in this game for me, uh, Cam, you talk about it, this, this San Diego State defense, I've got a number 12 in the country by my numbers. Um, they're top five in success rate against the rush. They're top 20 in success rate against the pass. Um, I really don't know how Utah State's going to move the ball against them. Um, the number one in field position on starting field position for their defense. I mean, this, this San Diego State special teams and defense especially um, really has the Aztecs in a good spot. They're at home in this one. I've got them as the number 62 team in the country. Utah State number 85. So I've got uh, San Diego State with a 73% win probability. So Cam, you weren't very confident San Diego State was going to get this one done. I'm actually going to go uh, to the other end of the spectrum. I'm I'm taking San Diego State, and I'm taking them for eight confidence points. So, Kinger, what about you? Yeah, I'm actually going to one-up uh, you, Kelly, just slightly. I'm taking San Diego State for nine confidence points. And I want to just, again, comment on what Cam said. I mean, Blake Anderson and what he's done with this Utah State Aggies team, it does – he deserves a lot of credit, right? They have, they were not at all expected to be where they're at. They had plus 5,000 odds to win the Mountain West before the college football season started. Uh, so, you get some Utah State homers out there that might have – been throwing some funny money at this. Uh, they might be getting a big payday if Utah State can come up with an upset on Saturday. Uh, now, that being said, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I, I do like what Logan Bonner and that offense have been able to do this year, but San Diego State's defense is just too good. I mean, you already talked on Cameron Thomas, Cameron Thomas and that defensive line. I really like Taylor Hawkins and Trent Thompson in the secondary. Uh, Utah State has been very susceptible on the defensive side of the ball to letting up big plays in the run game. They let up over 360 yards on the ground to Wyoming a few weeks ago, 220 earlier in the season in their loss to BYU. Uh, they're going to try and load the box and, and stop San Diego State rushing. And like Kelly said, you know, I expect them to try and attack the, the secondary a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see what San Diego State does with quarterback. Uh, Lucas Johnson finished the year uh, with just over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. But Jordan Brookshire is back. He started the season for him, uh, had a foot injury, uh, didn't end up playing for a few games. They weren't getting a lot of consistent play from Lucas Johnson. He came back last week in the second half against Boise, played pretty well. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do and if he can revamp that San Diego State offense that has been stagnant at times this year. But again, I'm not picking against this defense. San Diego State at home. Uh, they do get to host Utah State, uh, just like uh, I believe you said, what was it, the Matt Kelly that, or, uh, that hosts the championship? Conference, Conference, Conference USA. USA. Yep, Mountain West does the same here. Um, so I'm taking San Diego State for nine. 
All right, so to recap, we are all on San Diego State, Kinger on the Aztecs for nine, I'm on the Aztecs for eight, and Cam on the Aztecs for one. Kinger, you said plus 5,000 um, was their odds at the beginning of the year. Reminds me of my favorite soccer team, uh, Leicester City, 5,000 to one to win the Premier League uh, back in 2015-16, which they did, thus uh, was born my fandom of Leicester City. But this is a college <laughs> football podcast, we'll keep it here. Um, in the Sun Belt, we have Appalachian State traveling to Lafayette for the second time this season to take on the number 24 ranked Ragin Cajuns. Louisiana won the regular season affair 41-13 back in October. This is another one where the team with the better conference record hosts the game. So again, App State already traveled to Louisiana once this year. They're doing it again. This is, uh, I'll take this one first. Uh, Louisiana is ranked by the committee this week. I've been clamoring for it for two or three weeks now. They've got them at 24. I'd have them at 22, but I'm not going to quibble over that. I'm just happy they're in there. Um, they're really accomplished this year. They're 11-1. and They're only lost in the opening uh, weekend at Texas. A loss that at the time looked a little bit better than it does now, um, but still a really good um, Louisiana team. But actually, on the other side, I've got this as the best App State team since the Mountaineers joined FBS back in 2014. So again, they've only been in FBS for, for a handful of years, but this is the best version of the Mountaineers team that I have in my data set. And I actually like App State, even though they're on the road. I like App State on both sides of the ball here, offense and defense. It's a little bit closer with that App State offense versus Louisiana defense. Both those units rank in the 40s. Um, App State offense, top 10 in success rate passing the football. They're also top 40 in explosiveness. And Louisiana Louisiana's defense, um, for as average as they are, they give up a ton of explosive plays in the passing games. They're number 128 in explosiveness against the pass on defense. So I expect App State to be able to move the ball um, through the air and ex expect them to have some success there on that side of the ball and put up some points. And then on the other side, it's... Um, a little bit higher quality matchup in terms of the the, the strength of these two teams. Um, I've got the App State defense top 20 in the country on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they're top 10 in success rate against the pass, top 20 in success rate against, against the pass. They're top 10 against the rush. Um, but I do expect this Louisiana offense to probably rush the ball. Um, while they're not top 10 in, in success rate rushing like the App State defense is, App State does give up some explosive plays on the ground, and I think uh, Louisiana can try to take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, for his accomplished as Louisiana is. I've had App State as a fringe top 25 team in my power ratings for most of the year. Um, I remember in the preseason, I had them hanging around there, and I think it was Parker, our first guest on the show, Stats of War on Twitter, uh, was giving me some grief. He's like, I can't believe you have that much faith in Chase Young. Well, uh, excuse me, um, Ch uh, Chase Bryce. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think the whole the team as a whole uh, might have something going. So they're not top 25 for me right now, but they're number 34 in my predicted numbers. Louisiana, number 46. So when you bake in the home field advantage, I've got App State. I've got them with a 53% win probability. So that leads to three confidence points. Kinger, what do you make of this one? Yeah, this, uh, this line was a little bit of a question to me. Or when I saw it, I'd say there was a little bit of confusion because App State actually comes in this game as a three-point favorite on the road. And, you know, both these teams are coming in on long winning streaks. App State has won six straight. Since they lost 41-13 to Louisiana earlier in the season, Louisiana has won 11 straight since their only loss coming to Texas. The big difference in that first game was is that Louisiana was able to turn or was able to turn over App State four times or App State gave it away four times. So, you know, that was a little bit uncharacteristic for this App State offense. And, the, and Louisiana was very much able to capitalize that and really turn that first game into a route. So this is the send off game for Billy Napier. Uh, just took the job at Florida. He's going to coach the conference championship game this week, which I actually, um, you know, I, I, I like and respect the way that Napier has handled this. I think a lot, you know, obviously he waited for the right job for him. He turned down some job offers, some power five 
five offers last year. The Florida job opened up this year, and I think it's a great hire, great fit for Florida. And I think that ultimately his team, the program, has a lot of respect for what he's done for them, the ability to uh, that he's connected with these kids, the program, the fan base. And I think he's really done it right in, in Louisiana. So I think this is going to be a big-time emotional game. They're plus three. I'm going to take them with the bet. I know it might be a little bit of a of a, of a – uh, of a, t- of a trap game here. I think they might be teasing people in, seeing Louisiana coming in on that 11-game winning streak. They might be trying to trap people. Vegas might, but I- I'm getting on board um, for a couple different reasons, right? I do like this Louisiana offense. App State has a very good defense, but I like Levi Lewis, their quarterback, a lot. He's very efficient. He's now school record holder in most touchdowns. Uh, 18 touchdowns, four picks on the year. They've also got a great tandem running back duo in Chris Smith and Montreal Johnson. Both these guys have over 775 yards this year. Uh, great one-two punch, and they both have they both bring some different skill sets to the field. Um, App State been very solid against the run this year, only allowing 106 yards per game. Uh, they've have done a very good job of limiting explosive plays. So that's going to be key for App on the defensive side to really hold them down. They allowed over 200 the first time they played. Uh, we'll see if they can bounce back and, and, and play uh, a better game this time around. Again, I like Chase Bryce. Uh, App State also has a couple good running backs, uh, and, and Corey Sutton was a really good receiver on the outside of them. They've very balanced team that has found its momentum. Um, I'm just going to go with the emotional home field advantage here. Like I said, Napier's last game. I think Louisiana has enough to at least combat that App State offense. I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm taking Louisiana for three confidence points. All right, Cam, we've had a few games in a row. We've all agreed we need you to break a tie this time. What do you have in this one? I'm siding with the Cajuns. Four points, and there's one reason why. I've talked about them a lot. Offensive lines in this offensive line with Max Mitchell on the right side, Osiris Torrance, AJ Gilly, Ken Marks. This team is stacked just the way you would think that the culture, as Napier calls it, C capital U L, ultra capital ultra, the culture they've built there. Love that. And that he's leaving behind. It literally is why he's staying behind. He didn't pull a Brian Kelly and just jettison out dip with a bag full of cash you know he he's going to take the job everybody knew he's going to take a bigger job he did it right this is the right way to do it in a time and age where okay fine he's got this something to play for brian kelly didn't that's a bad example neither did lincoln riley whatever you want to say about that but to me the that speaks volumes to that whole program and what they've built and what he's built and what levi lewis has built you said now the all-time louisiana raging cajun passing touchdown leader he passed jake delone Jake DeLome he passed. I mean, come on, this is NFL great Jake DeLome he passed. I'm fast and loose with the term NFL great there for Jake DeLome. But uh, Louisiana, I mean, they've been what? the pin- It was App State as the surprise victor over Michigan back in the day. But Louisiana has been the pinnacle of like group of five success, but sustained success over the past few years. So to me, Louisiana gets it done. They send out Napier the right way, like he wants to go out in uh, Louisiana for confidence points. All right. So to recap, we've got Cam on Louisiana for four, Kinger on Louisiana for three, and I am on App State for three. And I don't disagree with anything you guys said there. King, I know we talked a lot on the live show about Napier to Florida, so everyone go check that out for our thoughts there. And, and I don't disagree with that's the right way to leave, and they have something to play for, and all those things. Cam, you said Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly didn't have anything to play for. 
I'm not ready to say Notre Dame doesn't have anything to play for just yet. If things break True. right here this weekend, I mean, they only need one or two games to go their way, and I think Notre Dame can find themselves in a position to play in the playoff. But um, that's a whole other conversation, I know. But that'll be interesting to see. We might have a playoff team with an interim head coach, and depending on who Notre Dame's going after here, I know I'm in the camp they should be going after Luke Fickle. That's a popular opinion these days. I'm not out on a limb or anything. But if they somehow negotiate that with Fickle in the time between the end of conference championships and the start of the playoff, we might have two playoff teams who are under interim head coaches or transitioning head coaches, which um, to me is just absolutely wild. But hey, 2021 college football has been wild, so I guess it fits. This is this has been the wildest carousel tracker coaching carousel. I mean, it was flight tracking season was here, but the flight tracking season was over before we knew it, and then all of a sudden we're here, and this is this has been the wildest off season. It's not even the off season yet. <laughs> It's, it's truly remarkable. Um, it's one of the re- just another reason why we love this crazy sport of college football. Um, and speaking of this crazy sport, guys, this next one, it's the big one. I mean, it's, it's Atlanta. It's number one Georgia sitting at 12-0 this year versus an 11-1 Alabama squad ranked number three playing for the coveted SEC championship. Cam, I want to start with you on this one because this matchup has NFL prospects and not just NFL prospects. First rounders littered, I'm sure, all over the field. Give us your take. Number one, Georgia versus number three, Alabama in Atlanta. Go dogs. Uh, give me that head, I guess, as course I would say. I'd be putting on a bulldog head right now. I, I love Bryce Young. He plays well beyond his years, and he plays well under pressure for being a 19-year-old kid and having a relatively subpar to Alabama standards offensive line. To me, though, you would say it. I, I've done, God, I think maybe 12 mock drafts since August. And each time I add a Georgia defender to it, no matter how far I go, whether it's one round, two rounds, seven rounds, I'm adding Georgia defenders as I go. I mentioned N'Kobe Dean. I mentioned Lewis Seen earlier. I, I need to mention Lewis Seen. They have too many players on defense. that it's You could have an hour-long show and talk about them all. My favorite player on this team, though, is likely, and I, I've already penciled him as 2023's first overall pick, Jalen Carter defensive tackle so i was on record and said ed oliver should have been the first overall pick when he was a true freshman when he finally left houston and okay he's maybe not done the aaron donald trajectory jalen carter could be warren Sapp. he happens to hail from the same high school he's maybe an inch taller 30 pounds heavier but he plays faster than warren Sapp did when he was at miami this jalen carter kid is for real they have him drop back in coverage as a six foot six 300 plus pound defensive tackle that's how athletic this kid is so to me, just watch with how Kirby Smart and that defense moves around the players. Georgia beats Alabama. It's a little bit closer than maybe people might think. They play four quarters of inspired football, Alabama does, but they don't have the players that they usually do to stack up to the talent on that defensive side of the ball. I mean, Stetson Bennett doesn't do anything for me at all. Brock Bowers does at tight end for Georgia, but to me, it's the Georgia defense. I mean, uh, what, take the under and back the dogs. That's where I'm at. Georgia for five. Yeah, this is the matchup that everyone wants to see, right? Um, you know, surprisingly, with all the good teams that, that Georgia has had in their history, this is the first time that a Georgia team has the potential to go 13-0 and in a season, which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, Bama coming in, won six straight. Their only loss coming to that Texas A&M team. Uh, you know, on paper, and I think a lot of people, I'm going to bet this game, and I'll talk about it a little bit later into the end what I'm doing. I'm just I'm doing something a little bit different here. Uh but this Alabama offense has really struggled these last couple of weeks. And Cam mentioned it. 
it's Evan Neal and everybody else on this Alabama offensive line, right? They have not performed up to the standards that Alabama has had and the players and prospects that they put out these last few years. They let up seven sacks last week to an Auburn front seven. That is good, not great. They are going to have their hands full this week with Georgia, right? Uh, you know, Georgia's ranked number one in red zone defense and touchdown percentage. I like a lot about what Bryce Young brings to the table. I think he's a very poised quarterback. He has far exceeded my expectations and what I thought he was going to be for Bama this year. They've got a great wide receiving core, but they just don't, I don't think they have enough what it takes to conquer that Georgia defense. And on the other side, Bama's front seven is very, very good. Right, uh, they're fourth in yards allowed, only allowing 2.6 yards a carry. Georgia's only allowing two and a half yards per carry. So, in reference to that, they both have very stout fronts. Nobody talks about Will Anderson Jr. I mean, I talk about Will Anderson Jr. every single week. Uh, if we're talking about best player in college football, he's got to be in that Heisman conversation. And here's a crazy stat that I saw today: Bruce Feldman tweeted out. He's got 29 and a half tackles for losses this season through 12 games. No one is anywhere near him in that. And just for reference, you talked about Aaron Donald um, in the Carter comparison. Aaron Donald had 28 and a half in 2013. So Will Anderson is having an insane season. And I don't want to discredit at all what he's done and what that Bama front seven has. Now, the secondary is a little bit of a different story. They're 69th in passer rating allowed, 54th in yards per tent. This is by no means an elite secondary. And they've had some players that have struggled uh, really with you know ball skills, pass defended, they've, they've allowed chunk yardage this year, which is not typical from a Nick Saban Alabama defense. You know Stetson Bennett is nothing to write home about, but he's fifth in the nation with QB rating. He makes plays with his feet. Uh, Georgia's got five guys with over 200 yards on the ground this year. Uh, you know They've got a very diverse uh, set of playmakers, skill players, um, and I just think they are going to be too much for Bama this week. You know, Historically, I would feel very dumb to bet against Alabama, but I'm taking, I'm taking and Nick Saban, I just don't think they can correct what the mistakes that they've done in one week versus an elite Georgia team. So I'm actually going to buy the half point. I don't want to get hooked this week. I don't do that very often at all, but I'm going to take – UGA minus six, and I have Georgia with seven confidence points. All right. Well, you guys, not surprisingly, have hit on the majority of the points here that I wanted to make. Um, guys, I've got this as a game score of 99. This is the best game all year. Uh, it exceeds anything else we've seen in terms of the hype and the pregame numbers. I've got Georgia as the number one team in the country in my predictive numbers. Alabama's number two. Like, the this game is going to be fantastic, I think. When's the last time Bama was uh, six and a half point, or what is it, six and a half, six, six, five and a half game? What six, is and it a half, six and a half, six and a half. When's the last time Bama was a six and a half point dog, right? I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I think that just goes to show you the respect that people have for this Georgia team and how good they are. Guys, I have this as the best Georgia team in the 125 years that the Bulldogs have been playing college football. This, at their current rating that they have right now, they are the number six team all time in my college football, historical college football data team set, like number six all time. Um, this is a elite, elite team, a team that uh, has very few flaws on the flip side. 
This is actually the worst Alabama team that the Crimson Tide have had since they finished number one in 2015, um, which was also a top 100 team of all time in my data set too. So it goes to show you this is the worst team they've had and they're number two in the country, right? So that goes to show you the standard Alabama set for themselves. Guys, for me, Georgia is number one in my most deserving numbers. They're number one in resume, only a 3% chance. The average top 25 team would be 12 and 0. They're number one in margin. They're outscoring their opponents by 19 and a half points more than the average top 25 team would be expected to outscore the schedule the opponents of that schedule that Georgia has had. This is the number two offense in the country. They're top 20 in success rate rushing. They're top five in success rate passing. This is the number one defense in the country. Top five in success rate rushing. Number one in success rate passing. This Georgia team is complete. Um, Alabama is a good team. They're a great team um, by the standards of college football in 2021, but I think it's too much Georgia. They're in Atlanta. I know it's neutral site. My numbers aren't giving any home field to Georgia here, but I would expect that uh, that the Georgia Dome is going to be, uh, very, sorry, the, it's the Mercedes-Lewis or Mercedes-Benz Dome, right? Is that what it is now? Mercedes-Benz Dome. Um, I would expect that place to be rocking for Georgia. They're going to be excited. This is their best chance at a national championship. Well, you, you could say since 2017, right? They were one play away. They were a fourth and whatever away from a national championship then. But I think the hype around this team is even greater. Um, really excited for this one. I've got Georgia with a 68% win probability, which equates to seven confidence points for me as well. So to recap, Kinger and Kay Ford on Georgia for seven. Cam on Georgia for five. Really excited for the SEC championship. In the American Athletic Conference, we have number 21 Houston up a few spots this week, going on the road to face an undefeated and number four ranked Cincinnati Bearcats team. With a win, the Bearcats will be hoping to become the first ever group of five team to make the college football playoff. I know King thinks that Cincinnati controls their own destiny. I'm not so much in agreement with that for right or wrong, um, but go check out our live show for our thoughts there. Uh, King, let's go ahead and start with you with this one. This is another one where the higher uh, or the team with the better conference record is hosting. So this game's going to be at Nipper Stadium there uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, this is uh, Cincinnati comes in, you know, just one of two teams in the country to be 12 and 0. Houston coming in, want to have an 11 straight. They lost week one to Texas Tech, have been perfect since then. So we've got a team, a couple teams with a lot of momentum, and this is going to be huge for the impact on the college football playoff, right? Um, so these are the one and two ranked scoring, scoring offenses in the American Conference, as well as one and two ranked scoring defenses. So this is going to be a really fun matchup, right? We'll start with the Cincinnati defense versus the Houston offense. Cincinnati is fifth in the nation in points per game allowed with 16 and a half points per game eighth in total yards fourth in yards per play this is a very good Cincinnati defense we can't I can't talk enough about Sauce Gardner um, and what he's done and the accomplishments he's made on the outside uh, maybe the best stat of Cincinnati though this year is their third in red zone scoring percentage only allowing scores on 66 percent of red zone trips right that number may seem high but you got to remember this is just red zone scoring in general so this is any points this is touchdowns field goals no matter what it is Cincinnati is very good they have had some games where they They've allowed some yards, but when it comes down to clutch time in that red zone, they've been able to put it together, and they've been a very tough unit to score on. I can't talk enough about how successful they've been. I particularly love this secondary, right? Now, Houston offense is no slouch here. They're led by Clayton Toon. They're top 10 in points per game as well at points per play. Uh, they also have a great running back tandem, and I'm looking forward to the matchup of Nathaniel Dell versus those Cincinnati quarters and Sauce Gardner. Dell's a 1,000-yard receiver on the outside. He's been very productive this year. Um, I think he's going to pose a challenge to that Cincinnati secondary, and we'll see if Clayton Toon is able to have an accurate game and put up some numbers in that pocket uh, to really test them. 
right? Um, you know, on the other side, Houston's defense might have started a little bit slow this season. They boast the sixth ranked total defense, eighth in the nation, only allowing 98 yards per game against the run, 16th against the pass. So this is no, this is a unit that absolutely has deserved some respect as well, right? The last five or six weeks, they've been really good. And this is Cincinnati offense that has been stagnant as times at times, but overall they have been very good this year. Ritter's been ultra efficient. I mean, I wouldn't say ultra efficient, but 27 touchdowns, eight interceptions. I think they have enough to get it done this week, right? Um, you know, it's a little bit, 10 and a half is a high number for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take Houston and the points, but I think Cincinnati is good enough to get it done. So I'm sitting, this is the one I probably wish I had a little bit lower, but the numbers, the way it came out, this is where I'm sitting. I have Cincinnati with eight confidence points. All right. You got it. Yeah. I have this as a game score of 83. So a really high game score here um, in this American athletic conference championship game. This is the best Houston team since the Cougars finished number 33 back in 2016. And similarly to Georgia and UTSA, uh, this is the best Cincinnati team in the 90 plus year history of Bearcats football playing um, at the top level of college football. So I think this Cincinnati team's even better than last year's team. Um, they're properly raked, I think by the committee at number four, I think Houston might be slightly overranked, but I'm not going to quibble about that at this point in the season. This game to me, I like both defenses. Um, I'll start with the one that is a really close quality matchup. Houston defense number 16, Cincinnati offense number 18. So really dead even here. And even if you look at the success rates, um, very similar here, rushing, passing, offense versus defense for both of these. I think Cincinnati is going to be looking to pass the ball um, a bit more. King, you mentioned Desmond Ritter. I think they're going to be able to have some success moving the ball through the air. Um, they have all season, but uh, this Houston defense is going to be one of the better defenses that they've, this team has seen all year. Uh, minus maybe Notre Dame or maybe even including Notre Dame. Um, but then on the other side, I think that's this is where the difference in the game is. This Cincinnati defense, number nine in the country, uh, Houston offense, number 51. So um, I like Cincinnati's defense across the board. I think Houston probably going to be looking to pass the ball um, just because Cincinnati um, – can give up some explosive plays in the passing game sometimes. I know we talked about Sauce Gardner and some of the others um, in that secondary. Really good players. Expect Cam's got them high on his board, I'm sure. Um, but I think Houston may be looking to pass the ball. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think the home field's going to be huge. I think the, the, the Cincinnati faithful are going to be out. They're, they're going to be wanting this college football playoff just as much as the it, just as much as the players, just as much as the coaching staff. Um, it's all lining up. I think they, they do, in my opinion, need um, either one upset or they need Georgia to beat Alabama to secure their spot in the playoff. But we'll see how that goes. I certainly hope a 13-0 Cincinnati team is not left out of the playoff. I think that would be a tragedy um, and would certainly call for an expanded playoff beyond just four teams. But I'm taking Cincinnati. I've got them with an 83% win probability, guys. I, I like the Bearcats by 13.5 points in this game, so a bit more than the spread, actually. Um, and so for me, this is my 10 point this week i'm on cincinnati for 10 so cam what about you i love where i'm at i love i love this and i just one question to both of you have you guys ever been to a game at nippert before i have actually talking about the daryl hazel era i went to the very first game that he coached at purdue back in 2013 where i believe it was 95 degrees out it was hotter than hell i was in the sun baking all day long and i believe purdue lost 52 to 7 or 49 to 7 so it was a memorable experience for me. I have not been there, but tell me you're going to be at the game, Cam. I no, I will. I've I've been to Nippert a, a couple different times as a fan. As a my little brother was was recruited by Cincinnati, so it's I've been a couple different times. I lived there for multiple months, and uh, I saw Desmond Ritter take on Dorian Thompson Robinson back when UCLA played at Cincinnati, and I was taken aback that I'm not a I'm not the tallest guy, but I was taller than Ritter. 
and Ritter was in his football gear and he was on the elevator field above me. That's how it felt. I've not been a fan of Ritter since. He's inaccurate. I don't like Desmond Ritter for the next level. I have Houston winning. So I'm going to go Houston. I'm not very confident, but I'm going to yeah. drop him to a two. I have the road the road plan, the road map for them to, to get it done. You dominate on defense the ground game. So you slow down Cincinnati's ground game, force Ritter to pass. Those inaccuracies then come out. They have great underneath defenders, the second-level defenders at linebacker, but also you cannot throw on either dude outside. Marcus Jones, Demory Williams, you can't throw on them. Sort of similar in the same vein, you can't throw on Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, who told me back in July, he goes, being CB1 is going to be easy this year, he told me. So I, he's lived up to that. I, I love Sauce and I love his confidence. He's literally taken away one entire, entire side of the field. So to me, Cincinnati's defense is great, but that roadmap is there. You dominate the ground game, limit Cincinnati on the ground, force them to throw. Ritter, it's going to be inaccurate. What, wasn't there a stretch at 1.1 game where he had – Eight, seven or eight incompletions straight. That's an inaccuracy that I don't like. You can't, you can't coach accuracy. You either have it or you don't. And he doesn't. He gets by with some arm strength and athleticism. So to me, as good as the Cincinnati defense is, they move Nathaniel Dell around. I think it's it's slot left, slot right, out wide. Either way, they're going to find a way to get Dell, their best player on offense, open on underneath routes. Let him use his speed. And then you have Alton McCaskill, who can, if, as long as they win the time of possession battle heavy heavily i think that's the roadmap for houston to win i think they can get it done i i'm i'm gonna take it it's in the same vein that louisiana's loss to texas in week one doesn't look good now it looked good then houston's week one loss to texas tech didn't look good now but it looked good then it was tyler shuck at quarterback still matt wells at quarterback they had brimming with confidence texas tech was houston had no identity they figured it out quick and they are riding that 11 game winning streak it's hard to win 11 games of football. I know since I won 12, but it doesn't fit my narrative. So let's just discuss Houston. Houston, I think, wins. They get the, the upset. I guess the biggest upset of both season, Houston wins. But I'm only I'm not that confident. But I just think that the roadmap's there. So two for Houston. I love it too, King. I know I heard you say that. I love it as well. Cam, if Houston ends up winning this one, you're going to get major props for it. Um, because, King, are you shaking your head? No, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I was shaking my head just more so the 10.5 point spread from the gambling perspective does not make a lot of sense to me based on Houston's accomplishments. Nipper does. When you, you walk into Nipper, so I if you're going to give home field 2.5 points, gen, general, blanket, whatever you want to do, however however many points you guys give for home field, I don't want to give your numbers away. Yeah, it's 2.5. Two 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 I'm on record as that. Yeah. So Nipper, when you walk into Nipper and then you walk down, I get it. You're playing down, but also uh, – Kelly used uh, the Cincinnati faithful. There's not really that many. I've been to games. There's not really that many. And I, as good as, as, as fun as it might be, they're, they're not as nuts as say like UCF. Faithful, but you don't, you don't think they're going to turn up. Out. You don't think they're going to turn up for a 12 and 0 Cincinnati team playing for a spot in the, in the CFP. You don't think so? No. Eh, eh. Okay. I, hey. This is, we hit your team, right? So clearly <laughs> I lived in Cincinnati. I'm allowed to say this, I guess I, 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 I don't hate them. I, I, I analyzed all 130. I love them all the same, but, to me, Houston's riding hot and uh, can come in and silence the crowd. We love when you hate teams on this podcast, <laughs> and we also love when you say whatever you want. It makes for better a better show when we don't when we don't all agree on everything. So um, I love this perspective. I'll be honest; I'll be surprised if Cincinnati loses. Right? I have it at ten confidence points, but um, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Uh, to recap on this one, like I just said, I'm on Cincinnati for ten. Kinger on Cincinnati for eight, and Cam. It's got Houston for two. So in Cam's world here, uh, 
we don't have to worry about Cincinnati, whether they control their own destiny or not, because uh, he's got them going down straight up this weekend. So we'll see. Steve Fickle, Fickle might be eyeing that Notre Dame job, too, here. His confidence or his his vision may not be full Cincinnati Bearcat football right now. It might be uh, how big can my bag man be. That is a very fair point. I personally expect him to be the next head football coach at Notre Dame, but um, that is to be determined. We've got a couple games left here. We're going to move on to the night window. We have number two, Michigan, versus number 13, Iowa, at Lucas Oil Stadium right here. Here in Indianapolis in my backyard. The winner of this one will win their first Big Ten championship since 2004. So I'll take this one first. I've got this as the best Michigan team since the Wolverines finished number four back in 2016. On the flip side, it's the worst Iowa team since the Hawkeyes finished number 29 back in 2016. So I know Iowa is in the uh, Big Ten championship here, but this is the worst team in my predictive rating set um, in the last five years or so. Uh, that's not to diminish what they've done on the field. The committee has a 13. I'd actually have them 10. They have the sixth best win in college football at Iowa State. Only a 44% chance that the average top 25 team wins that game. Um, but on the other side, Michigan has three of the best 11 wins in college football by my numbers, guys. At Wisconsin is seventh best. At Penn State is 11th best. And home to Ohio State just this past weekend is third best. Only a 29% chance the average top 25 team beats the Buckeyes at home. This game score is 89, so second highest of the slate uh, here this week. I like both defenses in this game. Probably not a surprise. I'll start with the matchup that I'm more excited about, and that is the Iowa defense, which is number five in the country, going up against a Michigan offense that I have, number 12. Um, this Iowa defense has been fantastic all year. Uh, they, they, that's the side of the ball, that and special teams. That's really kept Iowa rolling throughout the season. I think Michigan can have some success rushing the football. That is not to say that Iowa is not good against the rush. They are, but I think Michigan's better on the, uh, on the ground than they are through the air so I expect them to be looking to rush the football and then on the other side the difference in the game here for me this is an elite Michigan defense they're top 10 in the country um, overall they're top 35 in success rate rushing they're top 25 in success rate passing and they're going up against an Iowa offense that I have as the number 96 offense in the country they are sub 100 success rate both offense or both rushing and passing I don't know how Iowa is going to be able to score points in this game so while their defense is um, legit and is stingy I do think Michigan is going to be able to score enough points I actually don't think it's going to be um, super close, actually, relative to these other games that we're picking. My numbers like Michigan by about nine and a half. I'm not sure where the line is, but uh, that equates to a 75% win probability for the Wolverines, who I have as the number four best team in the country, Iowa, number 21 in the predictive numbers. So with a 75% win probability, it hurts me as an Ohio State fan to do it, but I am taking Michigan, and I'm taking them for nine confidence points. Kinger, what about you? It's our Big Ten, uh, Big Ten here. Yeah, I'm going to join in. I'm very confident in Michigan this week. I'm actually taking them in the 10 spot, right? And, you know, historically, Jim Harbaugh has let down Michigan fans, and he, that Michigan team have underperformed in so many games over his tenure as the head football coach at Michigan. But this year is different, right? You know, finally taking down Ohio State. Both these programs, I want to give them credit, are coming off of massive wins. You know, the Michigan win versus Ohio State was hands down the biggest win in the Jim Harbaugh era. And I don't want to discredit what Iowa did coming back versus Nebraska last week. Um, Nebraska, again, a team we've talked about, Kelly, you get – you know, crap all the time on social media for having them as high as you do in overall team rankings. Uh, but Minnesota, Iowa gutted out a, a tough win last week, right? Um, you know, we'll start with the Michigan offense. This is a team that does start with the run. They run nearly 60% of the time, 
But actually, they are damn near identical in the rushing and passing yards, averaging 225 and 226 yards per game, respectively. Iowa's defense is very good against the run and will need to shut down that Michigan running back duo. Uh, They're currently allowing just under three yards per carry, which is very good. Iowa's also fifth in just overall defensive efficiency. But the difference is is this Michigan O-line is very good and they had a dominant performance last week and we'll look to bounce back or we'll look to have another good week and dominate the trenches versus Iowa right I like Cade McNamara his ability to gain some yards through the air here Iowa not quite as good against the pass like you mentioned Kelly Um, and McNamara has been very efficient and very good at taking care of the ball he had a pretty bad interception last week versus Ohio State that was only his third interception of the season if he can step up and make some plays in the pocket um, in the passing game, I think Michigan can really run away with this, right? And just the reason being is, is Iowa's offense is not very good. Um, and you know, I'll just blatantly say it, they are bad. Uh, they have had a lot of issues at the QB position. They are 113th in yards per carry on the ground. I want to give them a little bit of credit there. Tyler Goodson and that offensive line, they've been a little bit better towards the end of the year. They've got over 130 on the ground in three of the last four games. Um, but this is this matchup this week versus this Michigan pass rush that I talk about all the time as being the best duo in the country in Hutchison and Ojabo. Uh, they're going to have their hands full, right? Padilla and Petrus, only 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I don't know why Iowa just can't get the consistent quarterback play. That's all. That seems to be their Achilles heel year in and year out. They have great NFL draft prospects across the board. Offensive line, the secondaries produce some good players, but they just, it's tight end you, you know, they talk about the tight ends in the NFL, but they just can't find that consistent quarterback to take them to that next level. Uh, I see this getting pretty ugly for Iowa early here. Um, I just don't think they have the offense to win the game. I do expect them to make some stops, but I'm on Michigan for 10. All right, Cam, uh, Kinger and I are both very confident in Michigan here, just like we were Cincinnati. Tell us why we're wrong. You're not. Uh, this is this is. I'm not. I'm not going to go there this time. Michigan in my 10 spot. This is the. This is what I literally I can just say. Michigan 10 and be done with it because that's all this deserves. But I'll give you a little bit. Riley Moss coming back for Iowa has been great. He I think probably is their best defensive player. Dane Belton is good. Came up Merriweather. Their secondary is great. They lack an edge rusher that they've had recently and recent years. They also, then if you flip around, they lack tackle play. And it doesn't matter even if you put the Big Ten's two best tackles or the best tackle tandem in front of Ojabo and Hutchinson, it doesn't matter. And that's Scotland's own David Ojabo as well because they just beat up Petit Ferrer and Dewan Jones. The night is darkest just before Dewan, uh, not for Hutchinson. Or Ojabo. So to me, it's the best pass rushing duo in college football. I said that I was on record a Halloween night or Halloween Eve of saying that as well. And then there was a certain other company that decided to, to piggyback on that two weeks later. Not going to mention who. I might have also worked for them previously. Um, I feel like Michael Jackson. Somebody's always watching me. Uh, neither here nor there. But um, to me, Iowa's strength on defense is their secondary. Michigan's strength on offense is their rushing attack. Corum, even if he's hobbled, was able to rip off that crazy awesome run. They have great run blocking. I mean, Michigan runs away with it pretty easily. McNamara doesn't even have to throw the ball. Uh, I mean, what's like five or six guys that are over 200 yards receiving. There's, then there's true freshman Donovan Edwards in the backfield as well. So it's not only just Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. It's also Donovan Edwards. So to me, Michigan runs away. This is a pretty easy one. You know, watch the ACC title game. I uh, had this one on in the background maybe, or if uh, you know, you have Kelly's set up, you can have all the games on at the same time and you lucky guy, but yeah, flip this one on, watch maybe the first quarter, watch which run away with it, flip to pit and wake. 
I love it. All right, so to recap, we've got Kinger and Cam on Michigan for 10, and uh, I am on Michigan just to spite them for 9. Not going to give them the full 10, though, there. Um, so you mentioned it, Cam. Our last game here, the last game of conference championship Saturday. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because uh, USC and Cal are going to be playing a late-night game, but I'll say the last game with conference championship game implications, and the last game that we're going to be picking here um, is the ACC championship. It features a pair of 10-2 and two teams, as number 15, Pitt, takes on number 16, Wake Forest, in Charlotte. Cam, you just mentioned this is going to be the game you're watching on Saturday night. We're going to start with you here. Pitt and Wake Forest in Charlotte for the ACC championship. This is an underrated quarterback battle, not just in this weekend, but all year long. I mean, this this is this could shape up to be, it should be better than the Sam Howell-Sam Hartman battle from when Wake played UNC. To me, it's Kenny Pickett. I got Pitt at eight confidence points, and it's just solely on the new rewritten record holder for all of Pitt football passing records that just passed Dan Marino for everything. Kenny Pickett, give him the Heisman. This is it. This is his Heisman moment. He's already got a couple of them, mind you. I know they say Heisman winners don't lose to MAC teams. They do have the Western Michigan loss, but I mean, the dude did everything you asked for him or asked, and even then, something against Western Michigan, his defense gave that one away early in the season. So, to me, it's Pickett. This is the – he epitome. He's the epitome. He epitomizes what the Heisman is all about. Hard-nosed dedication, gritty player, tough nose. Like, he's the guy that – if he breaks his nose early in the first quarter, like a sack or something, and he's bloodied up all game, like, I, I feel like this could be the moment where it's, that happens and Pickett's playing his best ball yet this year. So it's it's all about that to me. It's Pickett, Jordan Addison, who's probably going to win the Blitnikoff as well. So you're going to have Davey O'Brien award winner, a potential Heisman winner, and a Blitnikoff Award winner on that Pitt offense, which, flash, you know, rewind a couple of years ago, Pat Narduzzi coached team. You're talking all defense, not this these prestigious offensive awards. So, they've abandoned the inside zone run. They've gone to Kenny Pickett's strengths, all sorts of platforms rolling them out. I mean, it's Kenny Pickett's show, and this is the highest moment. Pittsburgh wins handily against Wake. Yeah, he touched on a lot of my points here, right? This is going to be a great quarterback battle. And this is two teams who were not really at all expected to be here, right? Wake Forest has not been the ACC championship game since 06. Last time Pitt was here, 2018, they got absolutely shellacked by Clemson. Um, you take away Pitt's bad loss to Western Michigan. I mean, they lost to Miami, but they've had a very good season. I mean, Wake Forest's losses to UNC and Clemson too. You can't really knock them too hard for that. Um, you know, he can't mention already. Kenny Pickett, love the name, love the quarterback. Uh, threw four touchdowns last week, officially broke Dan Marino's school record. He's got 40 touchdowns on the year, second, tied for second with Bryce Young in the nation. Um, also has a Bletnikoff finalist as one of the best wide receivers in the country in Jordan Addison, almost 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns this year. Uh, Wake Forest secondary has not been great by any means this season. Uh, 65th in yards allowed per attempt, 50th in yards allowed per game. Um, but the rush defense has been a lot worse, worse, 113th in the nation in yards allowed per rush, over 200 yards per game. Look for Pitt to try and, as much as they want to keep the ball in Kenny Pickett's hand, look for Pitt to try and keep that Wake Forest defense off balance, get Vincent Davis going in the run game. On the other side, Sam Hartman, also really good. 
Fourth QB in conference history to throw for 30 touchdowns, rush for 10 more in the season. Got a couple thousand yards receivers on the outside who I'm also very high on in A.T. Perry and Jakari Robertson. Uh, really test that pit secondary that has struggled, giving up almost eight yards per attempt this year, 95th in the country. Um, they have been, however, great against the run, which Wake Forest is pretty one-dimensional um, as is. So, uh, you know, in order for Wake Forest to win this game, they're going to have to get it done through the air. Um, that being said, I think Pitt is the more complete team. I trust Pickett and, and their defense a little bit more than I trust Wake Forest. So I'm taking Pittsburgh with four confidence points. All right. And then for me, um, yeah, I'd have these two teams my most deserving. Pitt number 16, Wake Forest number 14. The committee's got them 15 and 16 respectively. So right on point there. It's interesting. We've mentioned um, Dan Marino a couple times with Kenny Pickett breaking his records because I have this as the best Pitt team since the Panthers finished in the top 10 back in 1982 when Dan Marino was out there slinging the ball around for Pittsburgh. Um, it, you guys touched on the, the schedule. This team's 10-2. and two, And yes, they had a one-score um, win against Tennessee earlier in the year. They had an overtime win against North Carolina. But those two games aside if you look at their two losses yeah it was western michigan by three and it was miami by four i mean this team is seven points away um from being 12 and 0 and, and we're talking about them in the college football playoff potentially um and then flip it over to the other side with wake forest i've got this as the best um wake forest team since the demon deacons finished in the top 20 back in 1945 king i know you've heard this one before because we've talked about wake forest before but this is the best wake forest team since world war ii had just ended. I mean, you guys, this is like a historically great Wake Forest team, and we talked about it for both these teams. It's all about the offenses. It's all about these quarterbacks. So I want to start with the, the matchup I'm more excited about. That's this Wake Forest offense, number four in the country by my numbers, going up to the pit against the pit defense that I have number 17. So a really good pit defense, but unfortunately, I think the Wake Forest offense, um, just a little bit better, and we talked about it before, King. They do the majority of their damage through the air. I'd say they're very one-dimensional. We talked about how they run um, a lot of RPOs, um, but uh, Sam Hartman's going to be pulling the ball a lot. I expect uh, because Pitt better on defense against the rush than the pass. Wake Forest better passing the ball than rushing. So expect a lot of Sam Hartman um, all throughout the game. And then on the other side, though, I think this is where the difference in the game comes in. Pitt's offense number 16, Wake Forest defense number 73, so so below average in all of FBS. Uh, this is a, a a defense that gives up a ton of big plays on the ground. They're, they're not very successful stopping the rush, um, and so I think Pittsburgh is going to have success running the football, and then also, as we touched on, they're a top 20 in terms of success rate passing team as well with Kenny Pickett, the records that he's out there breaking, um, that his Heisman campaign that he's on, Cam, that you're, that you're pushing for him. I think it's too much Pitt, both sides of the ball here. I've got them with a 58% win probability. Pitt's the number 12 team in the country in my predicted numbers. Wake Forest number 18. Again, these are two really historically great teams for the standard of these programs, but I think it's too much Pitt in this one. 58% win probability. That equates to four confidence points for me as well. So to recap, we are all on Pitt. Cam on the Panthers for eight. Kinger and I on the Panthers for four. So that concludes our pick segment, guys. Um, make sure you're following on Twitter at WeHateYourTeam underscore and join our Pick'em group, the We Hate Your Team podcast on the ESPN app for your chance to get a shout out and potentially appear as a guest on our show in 2022. I am currently in second uh, in our season long competition. Parker Buell at ParkNasty69 uh, currently in the lead. And we have said if somebody can um, score more points than, than both King and I in the season long competition while competing in the same number of of weeks that we have, um, we will do what we can to get that person on the show as a guest next year. So Parker's in a good position. I'm trying to catch him this week. I know King's trying to catch me as well. We've had some disagreements in our picks. So make sure you're following us on Twitter. Make sure you're joining that uh, Pick'em group on ESPN. Um, Kinger, enough about the picks, enough about the pod or the, the, groupies, the group and the Twitter. You want to give some best bets today? 
Yeah, let's do it here. So uh, I want to make one correction. The live show Sunday night, I said it was five and three last weekend. I was actually five and four. Somehow I did not count or credit my loss in that horrendous bet for the Alabama Auburn over. Uh, so we're sitting at 28, 23, uh, and two on the season since the inception of the show, five and four last week. I've got five plays that I kind of highlighted again here to start. I'm on Houston plus 10 and a half at Cincinnati. I took bought a half point and took Georgia down to minus six. I'm on Louisiana plus three. I'm on Kent State minus three. And give me that over in that Wake Forest pick game. It's 72 and a half right now. I don't think there's going to be a lot of defense played. I know these offenses, we talked about how good they are. Not a ton of defensive uh, success and talent on the field there. Um, I like a lot of points. I like it to be an entertaining ACC championship game. So I am on those five for now. If the card expands, I'll be sure to tweet everyone out. And again, please follow me on the action app, KingZ20. Make sure you're following Kinger. He's profitable this year. You're, you're turning down free money by not paying attention and listening to King's betting advice. So, Cam, what about you? Any uh, any, any betting advice to add for us here? Any best bets or leans um, if you're into that space? Uh, you know, I, I don't do the betting space, but I will say we've done a season-long season bragging rights only against the spread of every NFL game at PFN. So we've got a, a, our eight analysts Right now, only six games separate. We're through twelve weeks of NFL football. Only, and actually, it's only six games. Sorry, I just did all. I just ran all the numbers uh, prior today after Monday Night Football cleared. Yeah, but I'm in the lead, two game lead right now through week twelve. Uh, still, uh, we are five games under five hundred though. So, I, I'm not the guy to follow for betting. I, I will say though, if with good meetings, if you want to put an over under on maybe the the first quarterback draft and then draft next year. Kenny Pickett has a very good chance to become that guy. So having spoken to a couple of GMs and a couple of decision makers, Pickett is going to be a guy that they're going to absolutely fall in love with. And some team will pull the trigger on Kenny Pickett first, I think. So if you can find one of those player props of first quarterback drafted, Kenny Pickett's probably my guy. I love that. Kinger, you got to get out there and find where you can place that bet. Add it to your official plays. Absolutely. <laughs> I will add it if I, wherever I can find it. You know, I'm all, I'm all in on that. That's awesome. Well, Cam, thank you again so much for joining us today. We've really enjoyed this. Please remind our listeners one more time, where can they follow you? Where can they find your work? Just plug all your stuff again one more time for us. It's uh, it's pretty easy. Twitter is the easiest way to find me. Pretty uh, pretty approachable, I guess, online. I don't give one of those bully mantras on social media. At Cam Meller, M-E-L-L-O-R. Uh, and the best bet, I mean, we're putting out five to six to seven, eight pieces of content a day. In college football, the NFL draft, whether it's scouting reports, all all conference teams coming up this week. We even have national signing day coverage uh, in terms of who is going to replace draft picks as true freshmen potentially. So we're we're going all over ProFootballNetwork.com. Uh, there's a little uh, menu up top. Go to the draft or college football section. Either one of the two is where you find all my work. Uh, but pretty good hand. We we cover the NFL with a fair, balanced eye. Uh, better than better than most and we cover all 32 teams and we're starting to cover all 130 teams at, at in college football as well so profootballnetwork.com sounds silly to go to pro football network to get college football but trust me it's all the same so we uh that, that's the easiest pro football network and uh, just on twitter it's easy enough yeah i want to shout out and say i really enjoyed ha- we really enjoyed having you on the show this week cam you definitely brought a unique perspective that we have not had on the show thus far i love hearing your insight and take on future draft prospects before we go i want to ask you a question i want to get your take on something 
Um, you know, we're talking edge rushers in this 22 class and how good this class is going to be. You got guys like Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, my guy from Purdue, Carlaftis, and anyway, Barre from South Carolina, Drake Jackson, Ojabo. Give me your top three edge rushers in 2022. I want to hear what your opinion is on that. Top three. I I don't want to conform to the to the norm. So number three is Karloftis, the Greek freak. I mean, this is a dude who can tread water like the best of them. I was hoping you would say that. I was hoping it, you would say right? that. Yeah. He's still learning the sport. He's still learning how to how to handle himself with his hands. He gets stonewalled by by tall guys, big tackles, too a little bit too often for me right now, but he can learn that. He's also got enough bend and, and speed around the edge. Uh, number two might surprise everybody because of my number one having a Heisman moment last week. So two was Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, just because I think he's awesome. But Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson's your number one right guy, now. yeah. I, yeah, it sucks because Dane Brugler just put out his mock draft. And he had Hutchinson go number one. Uh, so it looks like I'm following Brugler. But if you go back to our Slack transcripts of Pro Football Network, we were uh, early October talking about how, like, wow, Hutchinson's got it, and Ojabo's going to reap the benefits. And here we are a couple months later, Hutchinson is getting that love. And I think, honestly, this is a guy who – they're they're like a toss-up, Thibodeau and Hutchinson. But I, right now, after that game, after dominating who was the Big Ten's best left tackle in Nicholas, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, I mean, this is the dude who's got it all, and his, he's got the chance to be – if it was a quarterback, we'd be talking about him in the, in the vein of Joe Burrow or Zach Wilson because it's a meteoric rise to the top. So Hutchinson right now, a very close – it's like 1A, 1B, Hutchinson – Tibbs and then Carl Cool. Well, I appreciate you giving me that insight, man. Like I said, I look forward to following PFN's work going forward, your work going forward. Uh, just had to throw that last question at you because I know some of our Purdue listeners were going to be very interested to hear that. Yeah, always had Carl Loftus. I, I love his little brother too, so be able to look out for the yeah. little, the little Looking green, forward green to him taking over, taking the reins next year. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Cam. Make sure you're checking out Cam on Twitter. Um, on, on profootballnetwork.com. Um, he, he's really great. We've really enjoyed it. As King said, thank you, Cam. Appreciate it. This has been the We Hate Your Team podcast. Enjoy the conference championship game week to end the 2021 college football regular season.